Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of The Random Programmer. So I'm going to start a new series called This Week I Learned and it'll be composed of a bunch of stuff that I've uh, read uh, throughout the week. And I'll be relaying them to you. Um, not exactly verbatim, but you know, just maybe tidbits of the information that I've learned. So uh, today's the week uh, we'll start with the series. So this will be the first episode of the series. So let's get to it. First topic we'll be talking about is GraphQL, <clears throat> specifically authentication authorization. So, with especially in JS, if you're doing GraphQL, if you're making a GraphQL server in JS, you'll still need uh, middlewares for authentication. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, like in in REST, you add a middleware in order to do authentication on a particular endpoint and authorization. But um, the problem is GraphQL is in REST, so we're not, we shouldn't be bound to endpoints and so we shouldn't be dealing with middlewares. So what do we do? There's this new uh, library called GraphQL Shield and what it does is it give it gives the authentication and authorization to the specific fields of your schema so for example um, you have queries that just gets all users so you can just say um, every user can get that that field can use that field even if they're not authenticated so you can specify it you in GraphQL Shield in its permissions. So you can say that the, you, you just return true for that particular field if it's uh, if you will not be having a problem with uh, authentication and authorization. So for example, if you have a mutation that creates an admin, now that's a very, um, that's, that's a huge one. That's, uh, that's actually really important. So you can't just have anyone who is not authorized, especially someone who is not authorized to create an admin. So what you do is, um, you get the headers, for example, or um, the arguments for that field, and then check if uh, the user is, the, the one that is accessing that, that mutation field is actually authorized. To do that action um, how you do that is up to you but then you return false if the one that is accessing the the field isn't authorized so that's how GraphQL shield does things for me it's uh, more it's more idiomatic for GraphQL instead of using middlewares which is uh, more of a rest e feel for me so that 
uh, GraphQL Shield actually works best for me. This next one isn't exactly new, but it's uh, the first time I've tried it out. And it's called Puppeteer, and it's by Google, and it's uh, kind of like an uh, alternative to Selenium. Yep. So, uh, it basically has the uh, most of the functions of Selenium, but it's on node and it's actually pretty nice because you have uh, you can do a sync await uh, you know promises promise based um, function calls in puppeteer because well you know it's JS so most of the things that you can do in selenium you can do in puppeteer like <clears throat> uh, simulate button clicks um, get elements you know manipulate a web page and see if it works um, just from your code like it and uh, one other thing that um, differentiates it from selenium is by default it is headless meaning when you run it it's not really gonna show um, a browser but you can set that to false so you can see the chromium browser uh, go up and then run the actions that you specified in your code so all, all in all, as a JavaScript developer, it's uh, more more convenient for me than doing uh, than using Selenium, which is um, the only um, SDK I've used is with Python, and you know it's more com comfortable for me to use JS to use Node uh, compared to that. So uh, all in all, I like the experience of of Puppeteer. Uh, and aside from the normal stuff that you can do with Selenium, you can do screenshots in in Puppeteer, and it's built right in the API. I don't know about Selenium, but um, it's a prime feature of Puppeteer. Also, it has the ability to convert the page into a PDF, so it's also a, um, a first-class part of the library. So it's just .pdf and .screenshot. So. Uh, definitely if you're trying to uh, do testing and you're a JavaScript developer I encourage you to try out Puppeteer most people forget that one of the best places to learn something is through its documentation and for pandas, the data manipulation library, that is especially true. Within the pandas documentation, uh, we have the 10 minutes to pandas tutorial. And if you're a beginner in pandas, you're just trying it out or seeing what it can do, it's one of the best resources to learn pandas. So it's right there inside the pandas documentation. Definitely check it out. One reason that Docker and containers are very popular today is because 
compared to VMs, virtual machines, and maybe using Vagrant, they're actually more lightweight and they're easier to manage. They're easy to spin up and they're really easy to tear down. Just a run of a command. Very easy. And yes, they're lightweight by default, but we can actually make them smaller. But why make them smaller? Making them smaller makes them easier to use for uh, for builds, for testing your applications, or maybe actually deploying them to service. So the more lightweight they are, they're easier to upload, they're easier to provision, and they're easier to to deploy. And uh, so, what are some of the things that we can do to make Docker images smaller? One technique that's written in there in their documentation is to reduce the number of layers in the docker file because basically each command almost every kind of command that you add to a docker file becomes one layer so every layer adds to the size of your docker file so what you can do is maybe reduce the the number of, of layers by reducing the commands like for example the multiple run commands that you have, maybe you can just string them together into one long bash command and use run. So that's one thing. So that long run command will become one layer instead of you know multiple run commands and multiple layers. So that's preferable. One other one another technique is to use multi-stage builds. Now what are these? Basically you can do you can build the stuff that you need in one image and then just get the stuff that you need into into another to another base image so basically all the layers that you use to build that image will no longer be in the final form of the image only the the artifacts that you have built only the the prerequisites that you have will be transferred into the production in, into the final form of the image so if you're using layers to just um, create uh, your dependencies for example if you just if you're you're using layers to for example run yarn or run npm install you don't uh, you don't have to have those layers in the final form of the image you just copy the resulting um, node modules into the new image you don't need the the npm install layer anymore you don't need the yarn layer anymore so that's another technique so you do this by creating um for example in in your docker files you have a from uh, then the base image at the top if you include another from somewhere in your docker file that will uh, create another image and that's basically a multi-stage build that's another stage that, that another from marks another stage and then you can just copy the the artifacts that you had the files that you created from the previous image to the new image and the previous image will not be uh, added to the new image anymore so it will be more lightweight so and then another one to make it uh, another technique to make it your docker images really small is for 
your final image <clears throat> in your multi-stage build, in your final stage of your build, you use what are called distroless images. What are these? Um, these are images that are provided by uh, Google Cloud Platform. It's in it's in GitHub. You can look for them. So github.com slash Google Cloud Platform slash distroless. So these are quote-unquote language-focused Docker images minus the operating system. So you only have you only have the the files needed to run the the language of your choice and just your runtime dependencies and your application. No more package managers, no more shells, no no more other programs that you don't need. Only the uh, programs that uh, you need only the files that you need to have to run your to you to run your application. So, as I said earlier, they're focused on languages. So, they only they only have uh, a bunch of images that support a bunch of languages. So, languages that are supported are Python 2.7, Python 3, Node.js, Java, Jetty, CC, and .NET. Those are the um, the images that are available, but they they also have a base one, so maybe you can build your own. So that's it. So in your final stage to build, you can have from uh, and then use the GCRIO slash distroless slash Node.js for example. Then you just copy the node modules from the previous stage of your build into the new one. So this will effectively make your builds, your images really small and make your builds faster and easier to do and uh, less hassles when, when doing builds uh, because of long build times or maybe long deployment times. So that's it. I hope you uh, get the time to experiment with this and try it out. And if you're interested, I'll be writing an article about this in the Gap Labs Engineering um, publication. So definitely check that out when I publish it. That's it for the first episode of This Week I Learned and this is JP the random programmer and see you guys next time happy coding